Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Kelsey Bowler. Kelsey, it's always a special treat to get to co-host with you. And I understand there's a birthday coming up in the Bowler household. And one that I can't believe is already happening. That's right. On September 12th, my baby girl turns two. Uh, For those who didn't hear the whole backstory, she arrived early. She wasn't supposed to come until November and I'll just never forget because it, uh, it it was September 11th and she was on her way and there seemed like there was little chance of pushing it to September 12th. But then all of a sudden, labor took a lot longer than anyone expected. And then I was running into it being Friday the 13th. <laughs> so I was very lucky that she ended up being born on September 12th. Um, one of my best friends was born on September 11th. Uh, you know, that's obviously an emotional day for all Americans, especially this year, uh, marking the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And in light of everything that has happened, which we're going to get into this episode. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful to not have to celebrate her birthday on September 11th. <laughs> She'll have her own day, but she turns two, believe it or not. Wow. That's a time... Flies, Kelsey. I remember that day when your water broke early. I I talked to you all morning, and then I came in this podcast for you to do a problematic women episode. Literally got out, and somebody's like, "Oh, Kelsey's at the hospital." I was like, "So, uh. <laughs> yeah." I was walking across the street to get a sandwich across from Heritage, and my water broke, and I was like, "This can't be my water." I continued <laughs> no. on to get my sandwich, and then some of our fellow moms back in Heritage were like. Kelsey, we are going to have to get you to the hospital. (laughs) One of our colleagues actually drove me there and waited for my husband to arrive. He took his sweet time because he didn't believe anything was actually happening. Yeah, quite a story. I I believe I shared it on an earlier podcast. We'll have to dig that up. But the story's out there. It's pretty entertaining to say the least. And thank the Lord, Scarlett is doing so well now, turning two years old. She's so cute. So Kelsey, what is this past year been like we've been a little bit you know we've been in quarantine a little bit less in quarantine uh lately so what has what have you and scarlett been up to so i have uh the blessing of working from home she's only two she is not in daycare i have a nanny come help me so that i can do my work and that has really enabled me to not have to confront a lot of the issues that parents have to deal with, with COVID and children and their mass. I will say, <laughs> I wish I could, I wish I could say I was nothing but excited for her second birthday. But the fact that in certain situations, such as flying planes, she will now be required to wear a mask is really frightening to me. Uh, if you haven't been around a two-year-old in a while, like they are just in the very early stages of learning language, emotional development, communication, and to take that very fundamental ability to communicate away from them by not only covering ourselves in mass, but covering them in mass and, and somehow figuring out how to communicate to them that they have to wear this and why is very daunting as a parent. And 
I think it's worth noting that there are really few, if any other countries, maybe down in Australia, that are this extreme in their mass mandates for children as young as two years old. I mean, is she even speaking in full sentences yet? No, she's only beginning to string two words together at a time. Uh, she's learning uh, She's learning new words every day, which is so fun uh, to see. She's learning A, B, C. That's Aww. about as far as she gets. Um, <laughs> and I think she can tell you she, she's a little confused if she's one or two right now because that's probably our fault because we tell her she's one, but she's about to turn two. <laughs> but yeah, they're, they're learning so much. And um, I... I do have so much sympathy for parents who have no choice but to be sending their two-year-olds to daycare and subjecting them to these mass policies. I just, I think it's too much for a two-year-old. Well, and one other last question before I get, we get into the show. I have a niece that's just a little bit younger than Scarlett, and it's been so fun to watch her go from this little, you know, babies have personalities, but most babies, they, they sleep, they nap, they cry. So what is Scarlett's little personality turning into? She's always been this sweet and pretty confident girl. <laughs> um, it's, it is really interesting once you get around two years old to watch them learn how to communicate and tell you what they want. Because before you were in charge of every decision for them. And now I have to decide whether to meet her very specific demands. And if I don't, <laughs> I am subjected to a two-year-old temper tantrum. <laughs> I wouldn't trade any of this for the world. Uh, you love them even when they're, you know, screaming on the floor, crying. And uh, honestly, I, I just kind of can't help but laugh a little bit because it's so cute. <laughs> but of course, it gets exhausting um, as a mother. And I, it, it's just... Every couple months, it's like a different developmental stage. And as a first-time mom, it's it's so fun to kind of learn with them. I've, I, I have baby number two on the way, and I just feel like everything's going to be so different because I'll have an idea of what to expect. But with Scarlett, I am literally learning side-by-side side <laughs> with her, and I couldn't enjoy it more. Well, Kelsey, so happy as you you know from being Aunt Lauren. (laughs) (laughs) She's so cute. She's so cute. Well, we could talk all day about Scarlett, but we should probably get into the show. Yes, Uh, unfortunately, we have some more heavier topics to get to today. Lauren, do you want to break those down? Yeah, up on today's problematic women, we discuss the ongoing crisis in Afghanistan and specifically its impact on women and girls. Already liberal commentators are using the crisis to attack conservatives. Why, you might ask? Because they don't think women are oppressed here in the United States. I wish we were joking, but we'll share more in a minute. What we'll also tell you about is a conservative-led women's rally organized to support Afghan girls and women. It's weird. There was lots of red, but no pink hats there. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those of you whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, 
please consider supporting us by leaving a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, we've got a good show. Let's get to it. According to a liberal male columnist and quote-unquote comedian, conservatives are unqualified to fight for the rights of Afghan women because we don't believe that women are oppressed here in the United States. Quote, Afghan women's rights are threatened, but the GOP isn't their champion, wrote Dean Obidala in a column published on MSNBC.com. This column came as the world watched videos of young Afghan women begging American forces to save them from the Taliban and the entire chaotic situation that our president left them in. He goes on to write, quote, look, nobody is saying the GOP and the Taliban are equally bad, but in just the past few months, we've seen Republicans champion measures to deprive women of freedom over their bodies, as well as oppose laws to protect women from violence and ensure that women are paid the same wages as men. And they've done so, at least in part, to impose their religious beliefs on all others. So in order for conservatives to show that we are, quote, sincerely concerned with the rights of women in Afghanistan, this author says we must first champion the human rights of women in the U.S. But according to him, we are not doing that. Instead, we are doing all we can to, quote, prevent gender equality while oppressing women based on its members' extreme religious beliefs. Sound familiar, he asks, clearly referring to the Taliban, which adheres to strict Sharia law guided by extreme religious beliefs. (laughs) Where do we even start with this, Lauren? I have to acknowledge I wrote a column, a response column to this on the dailysignal.com, and it was actually you who originally flagged this horrific piece of quote-unquote journalism. Yeah, I saw it. I was like, I got, I got to share this with Kelsey. Like, she's, <laughs> she's the only one who's going to be equally as angry about this as me. Yeah. I. This is a reoccurring theme that we've talked about since we launched Problematic Women, and sadly, in real time... It's coming, we're we're watching it in real life happening in Afghanistan right now. So conservatives know what true oppression looks like, which is why we don't claim victimhood here in the United States. We know women in the U.S. account for more than half of all voters. We hold 57% of bachelor's degrees. And in 2020, we overtook men in uh, the share of the workforce. Uh, We have every freedom an opportunity imaginable to mankind. And we know that pretending otherwise is a lie. Um, We also know the difference between inequalities as witnessed under Sharia law in Afghanistan and injustices that still occur in America today. Sure, you know, women can and do still face very uh, unacceptable Uh, things. You know, look at the whole Me Too movement. I don't want to uh, say that wasn't important, but to compare anything surrounding the Me Too movement to what's happening in Afghanistan is insulting to the basic human rights that women in Afghanistan just lost overnight because of Joe Biden's decision. Um, And (laughs) unlike the left, which 
perpetuates these falsehoods about sex and gender and equal pay and even life itself. Conservatives know that embracing the this Western victimhood ideology is an affront to all oppressed and victimized women in other cultures and nations who would do anything to come here and are doing anything to come here. So, Lauren, let me tell you <laughs> the specific examples that uh, this MSNBC piece cited uh, as as evidence that conservatives, such as Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, are preventing gender equality while oppressing women based on their extreme religious beliefs. So he cited the Violence Against Women Act, the Paycheck Fairness Act, and then a number of pro-life pieces of legislations uh, moving along in all different states. What was your initial response (laughs) to this comparison of differences between policy issues here in the United States and actual human rights abuses that are happening in Afghanistan. Well, I think I had to take a second to stop my jaw from falling on the floor. Just the blatant hypocrisy and and just the bad timing of this. If there's ever been an issue that Americans should be able to get together on is that we want safety for Americans and the Afghan citizens who have helped us over the past 20 years. And to to make this such a partisan issue just days after this happened is is insane. And then, I mean, okay, you can have political disagreements on all of the issues that you just talked about. Most of them are, are legislation on a federal level and then the, the state legislation about the pro-life. Uh, okay, we are Americans. We, we have free speech, free debate. It's what makes our society great. And But to just equate these two so early. I mean, it just shows a hate in this man's heart that he can't, he can't work together. He can't think of himself as a greater American. It's, you know, it's red team, blue team. And that, I mean, he, he really vilifies in, in his head, conservatives and, and, you know, conservative women to the level where, of I mean, I know he says like, okay, I get it. Conservatives aren't as bad as the Taliban, but like, even to have them both in the same sentence shows his skewed view of the right. Absolutely. And while he mentions uh, some issues like the Violence Against Women Act and the Paycheck Fairness Act uh, and and covers them in a very dishonest and misleading way, which I debunked in my Daily Signal piece, uh, the the root of, of his argument is, I think, surrounds the pro-life legislation, yeah. which... He says conservatives are pushing based on their or our extreme religious beliefs. And that and that is what makes it fair for him to compare anything that's happening in the United States to what women in Afghanistan face. But first off, you know, we obviously need to acknowledge that the pro-life movement is is not just a religious movement. It very much is scientific facts of life movement. Um, but I guess more fundamental to what he's saying uh, is, is the fact that we are having and can have these debates over pro-life legislation and these important questions about when life begins precisely because we live in a democracy where we have the ability to peacefully debate and, and pass legislation and, and not have these laws handed down by very oppressive rulers who don't give the people 
these laws affect any say on it. America is built on democracy. And so it is, I think, quite frankly, a misrepresentation of democracy itself to make any comparison between Afghanistan under the Taliban and what we have here. And it, it actually reflects a lack of appreciation for our democracy that, again, we are seeing women in Afghanistan risk everything to get a chance at having because they lack it at such a basic and fundamental level over there. Yeah. No, I mean, these people, they talk about, you know, having freedom over your body is the ability to have an abortion, which, you know, we disagree with that being able to, to carry a child is, is freedom. But I mean, these people literally like there's there's stories of the Taliban going around and collecting women like to just compare the two is, uh, it, you know, it, it really it comes down to being heartbreaking because it, it just shows that the way that people here in America don't appreciate that freedom, Kelsey, that you're talking about, but also buried in here, even more than this whole women's issue is the fact that you're right, Kelsey, what you say with people who promote abortion have, quote unquote, extreme religious beliefs like the Taliban. That is the most unhonest sentence that I've heard probably all year. And I mean, I've I've listened to every speech that Biden's made. Um, these are people who go to a neighborhood church. They sit. They believe what's in the Bible. They that is not extreme. That is normal. That is that is good. That is not. People have been believing this for two thousand years, and the fact that this person thinks that makes them an extremist, I don't even know how you round that edge, Kelsey. Right, and it's so honestly, it's so disappointing that MSNBC even published this piece in light of what's happening to Afghan girls and women right now, because we need every voice that has the ability to speak freely, to use their voice and privilege to speak up for what women and and children in Afghanistan now face. And what this author is saying is that members of Congress, such as Elise Stefanik, don't have the right and shouldn't be using her voice to speak up for Afghan women and girls because she doesn't support policies such as the Paycheck Fairness Act and the left's version of the Violence Against Women's Act, which, of course, he didn't actually explain. She very much supports the basic framework of the Violence Against Women Act and and how it was originally authored. The left has hijacked it to the point they actually, in, in the last version, erase the term women from the Violence Against (laughs) Women's Act. So this is just completely a a hijacked piece of legislation that I would argue the left is undermining by making it political when it it could and should have bipartisan support. And uh, conservatives, including Elise Stefanik, have uh, put forth their own versions of this that don't include those poison pills. Um, Again, but bottom line, we need everybody's voice for Afghan girls and women right now. And no one, especially not a male liberal columnist at MSNBC, should be detracting from that. Uh, we need to do all we can to unite right now around doing all we, all we can to salvage something from this horrific situation that President Biden left us in 
in Afghanistan um, and and really keep the women and children in our hearts and, and pray that some of them will one day live to see the freedoms that we Americans are so lucky to enjoy here. Well, and Kelsey, I don't think this columnist's viewpoint is unique. I think there's a lot of leftists across the country. And if you're a listener of Problematic Women and you have a lot of leftist friends who, who believes this, how would you recommend those girls have conversations with their friends on, on talking about what's going on in Afghanistan and how we can learn to appreciate our freedoms here based on that? It's a good point, Lauren. And I want to acknowledge that this wasn't the only instance of liberal commentators making this argument. Uh, Joy Reid on Twitter said something very similar. She said what's happening in Afghanistan is, quote, a true cautionary tale for the U.S., which has our own far religious right dreaming of a theocracy that would impose a particular brand of Christianity, drive women from the workforce and solely into childbirth and control all politics. So oh, she's on to us, Kelsey. <laughs> she's on to us. That's what we want, right? <laughs> right. It's it's completely unhinged. It's dishonest. And I think at the most basic fundamental level, we need female voices who are able to communicate and acknowledge the difference between a policy fight or a political fight that happens in the United States where we have a democratic framework to have that debate and a deeply oppressive regime like the Taliban where there there is no way for women to fight back. They face oppression, um, the likes of which women in America, thankfully, will never see. And in my opinion, it is our obligation to use our voices as members of the most privileged generation in the world to ever exist, to stand up for them, make our fellow quote-unquote feminists aware of the true oppression that women face and, and unite to use our voices in a meaningful way. I mean, that is what's so frustrating about this. This shouldn't be political. We should all care about the plight that Afghan girls and women face, and we shouldn't be letting our own politics get in the way of advocating on their behalf. Well, Kelsey, thank you so much for for discussing this today, for writing such a great article. We'll link it in the show notes and make sure to be sharing that with your friends and your family to to fight back against this false narrative and, and really stand up for women everywhere. Well, stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break. But when we're back, I went to a Concerned Women for America rally where they were praying for Afghanistan. It's easy to get overwhelmed by the 24-7 news cycle. So if you're looking for a way to keep up with the news that matters, the Daily Signal podcast brings you the top news of the day. Hosts Doug Blair, Rob Bluey, and me, Virginia Allen, bring you headlines and interviews with lawmakers, authors, and conservative activists. If you're a conservative who wants to be on top of the news, check out the Daily Signal podcast available every weekday morning. 
We really felt this heavy on our hearts as we were watching these images come out of Afghanistan and first and foremost seeing our servicemen and women almost just like left these the years that they've put in and everything, the feelings that they're having watching this just kind of fall to pieces. And secondly, we see how women and girls are going to have to live under Sharia law and under Taliban rule and everything that they've worked for just be thrown away. And no other leftist women's empowerment groups are speaking out against this. And we see what these women and girls are going to have to face. And as a women's organization, we just want to be there to cast that light and say we cannot abandon these girls and leave them to the wolves, honestly. And we really want this to be a prayer rally because we firmly believe in prayer and action. And we know that prayer is the biggest thing we can do. So we just want to lift up all of these needs, our servicemen and women, those women and children and our allies, and lift them up to God and just let him work a miracle in Afghanistan. We are here. It is a busy, hot Wednesday in Washington, D.C. Why is it so important for you to take time out of your day to, to attend and speak at this rally? My name is Nadia Ayubi Aluwalia. Well, I believe that it's important for, as an um, Afghan-American, to come out and show my support and express my emotions and feelings the way we feel. So that was the main reason us being here and show the support of all the women here in U.S. My name is Mercedes Schlapp. I'm Senior Fellow for the American Conservative Union. I support the efforts of Concerned Women for America. Penny Nance and I are, are good friends believing in this important cause of standing up for Afghan women and children. I think what we're seeing uh, and what's happening there is so tragic, and we have to be a voice for those who are suffering under the brutal rule of the Taliban, in addition to the fact that President Biden has just simply, simply failed the Afghan people. Janae Strachey, I'm the grassroots director for Heritage Action for America. Well, I'm out here today because um, we have Americans that are still on the ground in Afghanistan that are being left behind. Um, the Biden-Harris administration has admitted that Americans will still be on the ground after the August 31st deadline that the Taliban has uh demanded and that our current administration seems to be accepting. Um, and that's unacceptable. Um, not only do we not negotiate with terrorists, we don't take orders from terrorists. And that's what we're seeing this administration do. It's unacceptable. It's wrong. And we're here today to stand up against it and to ask this administration to do the right thing. And this just isn't a regular rally. This is a prayer rally. Why is it important to have prayer up front and center with this issue? Well, I think... Uh when you see your politicians fail you, you got to turn to prayer. you got to turn to prayer, in fact, in all aspects of your life. And I think when you're looking at what's happening across the globe, the chaos, whether it be the chaos on the southern border, what we saw in Cuba, for example, with uh, the dictatorship really cracking down on dissidents, what you're seeing in Hong Kong, what you're seeing in Afghanistan— it's a moment in time where we have to come together and ask the Lord to, to have mercy on us, to, to pray for those who are seeking peace, to pray for peace in the world. And, uh, you know, I know for me, my faith is center to my life, and it's something that I know that helps gives us direction as to what we need to be doing next. Muslims, all Afghans, and Muslims, we believe in God, and prayers are strong, and especially for the vulnerable people who are helpless, prayers will help, and God will listen. Because doing the wrong thing will never go long way. So the prayers are very important. And I'm very thankful for everyone here who gathered and praying for Afghan women and kids.
Prayer is the bedrock of what we do. We know that God is sovereign and that this world is is full of sin and evil, and there are always going to be terrorists. But it is our responsibility to stand up against that. So we are are coming humbly and praying today, asking for God's miraculous, sovereign power to miraculously save the people in Afghanistan. Despite the failings of this administration, we are asking God to deliver our um, Americans in Afghanistan and also our allies and to bring deliverance to the evil that's happening there right now. And why is this issue and the situation in Afghanistan a women's issue and and women should be addressing it? I absolutely think it's 100% a women's issue. Of course, like our first thing is our American troops and people like that. But on the women's side, we've seen what the women lived under in Sharia law. And we've seen girls already news reports being, you know, we have red X's on our hands because there's a news report that parents are being told to put red X's if they have a daughter over 12 so that the Taliban can come and take them. Like, this is really happening. They are taking these girls. They're spoils of war. They're going to be raped. They're going to be sold into sex slavery. And the fact that other women's groups aren't standing up and saying this is a real humanitarian crisis is absolutely disgusting. And so we want to be that group providing that voice, praying for these women standing in the gap. Well, we should be having a women's march for the Afghan women because they have no voice. And I think it's so important to recognize that women who were working, women, girls who are going to school. There was hope in Afghanistan. Uh, you know, it wasn't a perfect situation, but now what's happened is that hope has been completely uh, dismantled because of President Biden's failed policies on Afghanistan. As we all know, this is not the first time. It's always whenever there's a war or a withdrawal from a war, women and children are the, the first ones who are the most vulnerable ones. And in this case, the type of uh, people we are dealing with, Taliban, um, based on, you know, bringing the religious into that, they have a, a big opportunity of suppressing them and getting away with so much, which is obviously, uh, it's not easier if it's a non-Muslim country. So I do feel that. Afghanistan is a women's issue. It should be an issue for everyone because it is a nation where women's rights are violated in in ways that we can't even imagine here in America. Under Sharia law, they have zero rights. They can not show their face. They cannot drive. They cannot vote. Women and children, as we speak, are being ripped from their homes and sold as sex slaves, sent, not even sold, just sent as sex slaves to the Taliban, to these terrorists. Women in Afghanistan are an item. They are abused and terrorized, and it is wrong, and we have to stand up for them. After you announced the rally, what has been the reception with other conservative groups and just even across Washington, D.C.? Yeah, it's honestly been really receptive. It's been really positive. A lot of people were like, thank you for putting this together. Like, no one's really been doing anything. Um, And a lot of groups were happy to send people out, bring speakers, and want it to be a part of it just to say, hey, we're here. We're sending a message to the White House. We're standing with our allies. We cannot let this just fall the way that it has. If you want to learn more about CWA and our efforts in Afghanistan and other things that we're working on, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can follow our president and CEO, P.Y. Nance, on all of the above and come to concernedwomen.org. All right, we're back in studio. Kelsey, what do you think? I'm, look, I've never been the type of person to go out and march. Um, you know, I chose to devote my career to engaging in policy via writing and filmmaking and so forth as a way to um, 
make my voice and the voices of others heard. Uh, but I have so much respect for Americans on both sides of the aisle for, you know, going out and marching if they think they can make a difference in, in a statement that way. I might not always agree with their causes, but I support it. And in this case, I am so encouraged to see a group of conservative, uh, faithful women go out there and, again, use their voice for a cause that we all care about. Um, Of course, this this is, I think, very symbolic of the hypocrisy of the West the the Western feminist movement today, where we just came af- off of four years of so-called feminists claiming oppression under former President Donald Trump, staging women's marches, had millions of women in pink hats all across the country, again, claiming oppression. And then when the leader that they decided to support does something as damaging and and callous as to pull out of Afghanistan without leaving women there with hardly a fighting chance to keep the rights that we helped them gain over the past 20 years is just appalling. Uh, Prior to, you know, when I was preparing for this episode, I was just curious what one high-profile figure was doing about it on the left, and that is Hillary Clinton, uh, I did read to her credit, she's arranging uh, charter flights for at-risk Afghan girls and women to evacuate. That's happening behind the scenes. But scrolling through her Instagram and Twitter, you won't see anything about what Afghan girls and women are now facing because of the situation our president left them in. And let me just add an asterisk. I am not advocating to be the world's police on all human rights issues. I know there's so much, only so much that Americans can do for Afghan girls and women, but we all know this withdrawal did not have to happen this way. It did not have to, uh, we, America did not have to abandon Afghan girls and women overnight and lead them so desperate to the point that they are handing their babies over barbed wire to American soldiers and risking their lives to escape. I I refuse to believe this was inevitable, that it had to happen. So back to Hillary Clinton, looking at her Instagram and Twitter, you will not see anything about Afghan women and girls right now. And this is just one example of... (laughs) Of the hypocrisy. I mean, how can a woman who built her career on fighting for women and girls who said women's rights are human rights and human rights are women's rights not have something to say in this moment? The only thing that she apparently could bring herself to do was retweet Malala, who is uh, a very famous author who um, escaped her own uh, Muslim oppression herself. So... It is so frustrating, Lauren. I know that you (laughs) spent four years watching Friends Virtue Signal on Instagram, these so-called feminists marching on the street, and then they are absolutely silent now. It's frustrating. I'm glad you went to that rally this week, and I'm glad to see conservative women not fearful of using our voice to stand up in the face of true oppression and abandonment. 
I always love the term so-called feminists. <laughs> One of my favorites. Well, and I, I was struggling with this and I don't know how you're feeling, but I used to like, I used to want to reclaim the feminist identity and, and, and I actually like embrace it, but I am so disgusted by the, the silence from the feminists right now that quite frankly, for the first time, I've never wanted anything to do with them. Well, over the weekend, um, I love the Virginia State Seal. It's it's awesome. It's a woman, and she has a spear going into some guy's head, and she has her foot on top of it, and her, one of her boobs is hanging out. And underneath it, it says, <laughs> Six Semper Tyrannus. And I, I decided to Google it because I'm like, I, I always kind of figured it meant like down with tyrants or whatever. But it says, tyrants will get what's coming for them. And I just love that. It's like people are going to get what's coming for them. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate, but we just got to keep up the good fight, Kels. We do. And we will not back down. We will continue to use our privileged platform here at Problematic Women to raise attention about the consequences of our president's decision to withdraw from Afghanistan overnight and ensure that we are doing what we can to help the women in Afghanistan's voices be heard. Well, couldn't say it better myself. We're going to take a quick break. But we will be back with more Problematic Women. Virginia Allen here. I want to tell you about the most popular resource on the Heritage Foundation website, the Guide to the Constitution. More than 100 scholars have contributed to create a unique line-by-line analysis of our Constitution. The guide is intended to provide a brief and accurate explanation of each clause of the Constitution as envisioned by the framers and as applied in contemporary law. There has never been a more important time to have an understanding of our founding document. So if you want to learn more about the Constitution, go ahead and visit heritage.org constitution or simply search for Heritage Guide to the Constitution. Now it is that time once again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. In light of recent events, this week's award is particularly important to highlight. So today we are honoring the brave women in Afghanistan who, in face of a Taliban takeover, are risking it all to do something as basic as go to work. In this one example, we hear two women in a recorded video of themselves uh, talking about being turned away from their work uh, by the Taliban. They are sitting in the back of the car, probably because under Sharia law, um, you know, many women can't drive, let alone leave their house without a male guardian with them. And uh, I'm sorry, but it's, it's almost comical at some points to see these images of grown women being escorted by their like seven-year-old sons. That's the male guardian for these women to be allowed outdoors in the public. It's it's insane. Um, so in, in uh, this video, we hear two women telling the story of being stopped by the Taliban as they tried to go to their office to work and speaking in what I believe is Darcy or Farsi. I don't speak these languages, so I don't quote me on that. But um, those are the official one of the official languages there. Uh, the woman um, said something that was so encouraging that I wanted to end this episode with. And that is, quote, the Taliban haven't changed in 
20 years, but we are not the women of 20 years ago. We want our full rights and we want the world to hear us and help us. Lauren, that is so powerful because I have been thinking a lot about all our veterans who sacrifice so much and their families. Um, I, I can't help but wonder how they're feeling um, about the, the time they served there, what it really meant. And hearing this from these women tell us that, you know, the Taliban has, ha- haven't changed. They're still going to face these, these very extremist laws and brutal forms of oppression, but they have changed. And you can't undo that, which leaves me with hope when watching the TV, it's easy to feel hopeless. Yeah, I mean, Kelsey, think of how old you were 20 years ago, you know, maybe in middle school. Uh, you, they don't know anything else except for a more free Afghanistan. And to to do that, to speak up and put your face on camera, I can't imagine the bravery and kind of the guts that it took to post that. And, and yeah, it's it's inspiring. Yeah, and then compare that to all of us here who can pick up our phones at a moment's notice and record our faces doing anything and everything. It really puts things into perspective, how much these two women are risking alone just by putting that camera to their faces and explaining what happened to them and using their voice to say, we aren't going to stop fighting for this. And also we want the rest of you to hear us and help us. And ultimately that's what we want to be a part of. That's what we here at Problematic women are for any of our listeners have any ideas of how to get involved please don't hesitate to share those with us i want to mention over at independentwomensforum.org i put together a piece that links to a bunch of ways that we can uh, donate to help uh, afghan women girls and refugees these include ways to support them in both the short and the long term uh, but we know they have a long road of a- ahead of them, um, and we we can't forget about them. We can't abandon them. We will continue to help be a voice for them here. Couldn't agree more. Well, Kelsey, long show all about Afghanistan, but so important. Thank you for joining us. Lauren, sorry we didn't have time to open with Build Back Better, but I, I hope our <laughs> listeners found these topics more appropriate. (laughs) I I saw someone on Twitter post, yeah, Joe Biden is building back the Taliban better. (laughs) (laughs) So sad. Oh, man. (laughs) Okay. Well, on that note, thank you so much for tuning in. Please join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. We actually have a uh, really exciting interview subject to who is an expert on kind of everything we talked about today. So stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. Conservatives do need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate five-star review on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, wherever you do get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Have a great week. And happy birthday, Scarlett. (laughs) Thank you. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.